Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of influencer marketing and branded content agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today. I want to give a very warm welcome to Mark Green, author of Activators, a CEO's guide to clear thinking and getting things done, who is also a speaker, a strategic advisor, and a coach to CEOs and executive teams worldwide. Mark's addressed, coached, and advised thousands of business leaders, helping them unlock more of their potential and teaching them how to do the same for their teams. And Mark's clients report significantly lower stress, reduced time consumed by the business, and vastly improved quality of life. Sounds too good to be true for many of you, right? Today, we're going to talk about five growth-killing leadership mistakes and how to avoid them. We'll learn what has worked from Mark's experience, what maybe could be avoided, and where others are missing the mark. Mark, welcome. Hi, Stacy. Thanks for having me. Well, I am delighted to have you here today. And I think one of the triggers of what made us reach out and say we wanted to have you on the show and have not only me learn from you, but our listeners is how you help executives lower their stress levels. Because in today's world, there's just so much stress. And what I'd love to do is have you start off by telling us a little bit more about your background, what got you to where you are today, and we can have the conversation go from there as long as you end this podcast by telling me how I'm going to live less stressful of a life. All right. Well, I don't know if I can give it in the punchline, but I will certainly leave a breadcrumb trail (laughs) along the way to get you there as as we go, right? Perfect. Great. So I uh, have a coaching practice here in New Jersey uh, in the New York metro area. And right now I serve mid-market CEOs and work with them and their executive teams in a, in a team coaching model. I have uh, nine or 10 clients at any given moment in time. And I work with my clients on an annual basis. And the space I play in in the middle market now is about 50 to 400 million in revenue. Um, which might be larger than a number of your listeners. Uh, However, it's important to remember that I cut my teeth in the entrepreneurial space and spent quite a bit of time there earlier in my um, coaching background uh, and sort of elevated and grew my practice from there. And I still maintain a relationship with a handful of legacy clients as well. So I keep my toe there. And frankly, my own business is in that space. Uh, And so I have integrity with that and a deep appreciation of the the little guy and the builder uh, and the the teams that want to make something bigger than what they currently have. Well, you have to start somewhere, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, And what I found is that my... um, my growth has, has, has turned out to be the same kind of thing that I end up working with my clients on, which, by the way, is not a mistake or, or an error. And my practice has iterated in about an 18 to 36-month cycle over the years uh, since its original founding in 2003. Okay. And so when you are going into these quite large companies or when you're working with a more entrepreneurial or just a smaller business that might be in the millions versus the 40 or 50 millions in revenue, 
what is the first thing you look at? How do you start looking and how do you start talking with that executive to determine what path they're truly on? Well, what I want to find out from the CEO, which is really my, my point of engagement, is where do they see themselves going? Okay, uh, and I actually care less about where they are right now and much, much more about this individual's vision for the future state. And, um, and I leave it as a pretty open question because sometimes they'll give me an answer that's six months in the future, which is very interesting. And sometimes they'll give me an answer that's 10 years in the future. And each of those things tells me something different about that person in terms of their ability to see where they're, where they're going. And, and then I follow that up with a, with a series of questions around what's in your way? What are the things that have the potential to not allow you to go where you want to go? And, and that is the, the opening of the can of worms uh, that leads into conversation around, well, um, you know, we have this problem, we have this issue, we have these things. Um, and, and I kind of take all that down and then we kind of dig in um, to those issues very directly. And I, I look at the world through a lens of four decision areas, people, strategy, execution, and cash. And what I've typically found is it's people, strategy, and execution that are the leading culprits for most of the things that aren't going right. Um, and, and cash is, tends to be more of an effect, although there are certainly things we can do there very proactively to, to kind of get that moving for a business. Um, and so that's, that's sort of the, the entry point. Um, and I also want to know what they individually think they're good at and what they think they're not that good at. And that's sure. also very telling. Because what they don't realize is as we're having this conversation about the content of their business, I'm actually assessing what I call their coachability, okay? And I found, I learned, as we all do in our businesses, we learn the, the big secrets through the school of hard knocks, right? We do it wrong for so many years, we get tired of getting beaten up, and then we finally yeah. figure something out, right? And this is one of those things that um, coachability is really critical, and that's, that's somebody's willingness uh, to, uh, to be open to insights and to direction and to suggestion and to being criticized, frankly, um, and actually leaning into it and embracing it and, and, and looking forward to those things as opposed to people who tend to get defensive or who don't take ownership of their own stuff. And so that's really the thing that I'm assessing. And so for a CEO or a leader out there, I will tell you that regardless of the things that are causing you pain, the very first thing that you need to figure out is whether you are coachable, meaning really open to hearing the things you might not want to hear. And, and if it turns out that you're not, you actually need to fix that first because you're not going to fundamentally be able to fix any of the other things unless you open yourself up to, to that. And, and that's this idea that we're, we, we can, uh, so there's two, there's two valences to our state. There's a, there's a valence of cause and there's a valence of effect, okay? And we're at effect when we feel like we're a victim. We feel like, well, this is happening to me because the economy is bad or because my client's not that great or whatever. Whereas being at cause is taking ownership for it. And this idea that um, I'm making choices that lead me to where I am. And I will continue to make choices that will lead me to where I want to go. And yes, there's things I can't control, but fundamentally I am at cause for my results and my condition. Yeah. 
Um, and that's really the essence of coachability is being a cause um, so that you can hear what you need to hear and realize that you have the power to change. Yeah, well, it's not so fun and it's not so easy to work with people who see themselves as victims in life. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's also not so great from a leadership role because your team members are not going to learn and be well guided if you have a victimization type of mind point. Yeah, I have a great story for you. I, I, a number of years ago, I got introduced to the CEO of a pretty well-known charter jet operation that was based in the southwestern United States. Um, you know, tens of millions of dollars of operation. Uh, and this particular CEO was a bit of a celebrity um, and very well-known and all of that. And I got introduced to her and I had this introductory conversation with her and she was taking no ownership of her condition at all. Like it was always somebody else's fault. Right. I mean, literally the entire conversation. And we got to the end of the conversation and she said something like, well, so I'm not sure, um, you know, how you can help me. And of course I responded, well, neither am I. And so all I got to do is wish you a lot of success and, and much luck and, you know, click hung up the phone yeah. because like, and, and so people can be at any level of success Yes. and still be at effect rather than uh, at cause. And it absolutely has, has an impact. And, and it creates an impact on the people around that person, um, which, by the way, is, a, is, a, is a, the first breadcrumb about where stress comes from. Well, and I was going to say the exact inverse of that is your CEO or executive who takes accountability for all of their team members, all of their mistakes. And while you can take you know, accountability, ownership that you are the lead and you need to fix, you also can't be the fixer of everything too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And what that accountability does is it shows vulnerability. And the research is very, very clear in this area that vulnerability builds trust. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when I'm bulletproof and I can never be wrong as a leader, I am actually creating an environment that is, creates the opposite of trust. Okay. Um, whereas if I'm willing to raise my hand and say, Hey, look, you know what? I screwed up. I made a bad decision. This is what we learned from it. And here's what we're going to do to recover from it. This is on me guys. I apologize. Um, that builds trust. And, and that's critically important to how groups and teams function. And one of the leading causes of, of stress in, in leadership is this thing in the back of your head that like, I really don't trust my people. I really don't trust that um, what I'm asking for is going to get done or what I'm asking for is going to get done the right way. And what they don't realize is that they're the ones that are setting the stage for that. So all they're doing is they're looking at the mirror of what they're creating, right? And, 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 and they have the ability to change that. It's not about other people changing. It's about them changing. Okay. So we got a great breadcrumb to start with. What is your next step? Where do you go from there? Well, what, what I'll also do is dive deep on the team. And what I find is that we tend to keep people for a lot longer than we should. Um, and, and I've seen it in teeny tiny businesses and in very, very large companies in the boardroom um, where we, we, we just operate in our comfort zone. And I'd rather have... Stacy, who's been with me for the last 10 years as we've built this thing, 
Um, and yes, she has warts and yes, she doesn't do these things great, but mm -hmm. you know what? I, I know her and I trust her and all of that. Yes. And then out of the other side of my mouth, I, I, I say, um, but boy, it's so frustrating that we can't just stop the level of mistakes that we make in delivering our product to our customers. Yeah. And the conversation is like, okay, well, which one is it? Right, stop, time out, which one is it? Because part of, part of the role of a coach is to help someone see reality. And, right. and we so often operate out of, out of reality because we make up stories and we tell ourselves all these things and we don't see where we're inconsistent, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so it's like, hey, stop, which, which one is it? You know, well, what do you mean? And, you know, the real question is, so is Stacy and everybody else on your leadership team, are, are they the people that in five years, when you triple the size of the business like you want to, are they going to be the people that will get you there? Yeah. And, and that's yeah. the question that people aren't quite ready to ponder. Yeah. And there's a great book. I'm sure you've read it or you've heard of it called Traction. It's the EO system, mm -hmm. yeah. which is entirely about getting the right butts in the right seats yeah. and not doing what I know I have done in my last 13 years of business ownership, where sometimes you look at the person and they're not in the right seat, but you like them and they're with you and they're valuable. And so you move them to another seat and another seat and another seat. And they don't really ever necessarily fit any of those chairs that you're trying to put them into and your business suffers from it. Yeah. Uh, and you just jumped right into one of my top 10 unproductive leadership habits, which is um, tolerating low performers. Okay. Yeah. And we, and we do. Uh, and, and by the way, here's, that's another breadcrumb for you because anything, so here's an insight, anything that you tolerate, okay. Anything you tolerate becomes the level at which your business will perform and full stop, end of story. That's it. And so if, if you're tolerating this lack of quality over here because, you know, we've got all these other things going on. That's like a stake in the ground of where your business is performing. If I'm tolerating this person in the seat on the bus, um, then I, that's a stake in the ground, right? And if I'm tolerating this really lousy client who's abusing my people, mm -hmm. which happens, okay, yeah. that's another stake in the ground. And what happens is all these things we tolerate end up just shackling our, our, our ability to, uh, to grow. And, and I will tell you that the, as a coach, the conversation about people never ends. I am talking to my CEO clients who even who I've been working with for years of even of these very large organizations every single month or at least every quarter. Um, and we are literally naming names on their team and we are talking about people. Um, it's that critical. It's that important. Um, and it, it never ends. And, and I'll tell you this also, I have, I have never started working with a coaching client and six to 12 months later had the same people in the room. Sure. Okay. And that's part of the magic of this process that I use, which it really shines a bright light of accountability into all the different corners of the organization and the people who were able to hide before can't hide anymore. Right. And, um, and it's actually a good thing because it is, it's good for them because they're not comfortable in the environment and it's obviously good for the business. And frankly, it's also good for all the people around those people. Right, and the whole thing is, I think as owners of companies or CEOs or 
high-end executives, you're trying to enable your team and you're trying to have the best thing possible, but you're also, it's a big fight within yourself because you're trying not to be the bad guy. And you're very, very cognizant all the time that you don't want to be the bad guy. But I know I've made decisions where I'm trying not to be the bad guy to this person over here where they should be shoved out of the company and I'm trying to support them, but what it's impacting is the rest of the team and it's poisoning them. And it's actually making me be the worst boss possible because I'm not addressing that poisoned apple that is seeping into the office culture. Yeah, and you just named culture. And so I'll go there and say, there's two dimensions that you have to consider when you're looking at anybody on the team. One is performance, which is pretty straightforward. Are you performing in the job? Are you delivering the results of the job? The other is culture or the core values alignment of this person. And where we really struggle is, uh, and I've had this happen multiple times, um, Mark, Sam is our top sales performer, uh, but he's a cultural wrecking ball. And you realize if we let him go, we're going to lose XYZ amount of business. And my response to that is, you are blind to what Sam is actually costing you right now. And I guarantee you it's more than the, the gross profit dollars on all that business he's generating. Yeah. Um, and, and I've seen this movie play over and over and over again that they'll delay, they'll wait, they'll hem, they'll haw. Finally, Sam will do something that's so out of range. They, they finally take care of the guy. And like the next day, there's a line of employees outside the CEO's office wanting to give him or her a hug to say, thank you, it's about time. Yeah. And then the next time I see them, they say, wow, you know, we should have done that like a year and a half ago. Yeah. And, and of course, as a coach, it's one of those because it's like, yeah, that's what we've been talking about. Okay. And so the next time this happens, are you telling me that we'll, we'll be able to like lean into it yeah. faster? Um, and, they, and, and, and organizations and execs get better at this. Um, and it's hard. And I don't want your listeners to think that I'm this cold person you know, that comes in and chops people out of organizations. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's, you got to think about if you're, if your company employs 35 people and you've got one person who's a high performer, but is a really not a great person to be around. Okay. You can say, well, it's not very caring for the one person. And I would say, actually it's worse for the other 34. Okay, because what you're doing is you're creating a hostile work environment, a not fun workplace for 34 people by tolerating that. And by the way, you're, you're also holding the organization back from being able to grow and create more employment for other people and more opportunities for those 34 people. So when you throw the logic at me about, well, it's not very caring for that person, you got to look at the inverse of it to really see it the way that you should be seeing it. And then it becomes a lot easier to make the right choice. Yeah. We talk a lot internally at my agency about the fact that I can teach anyone to do anything. I, I'm sure of that, but I can't, and I can give them tools as well that they need in order to do their job and to excel. But what I can't do, and this, this was the turning point, I think, for us with a couple of individuals, and quite frankly, it allowed them to gracefully leave the company uh, because of my moving them from seat to seat didn't working at, work out, but this conversation did, was when we spoke about the fact that I can't give employees the drive or the passion to do their job. That's something they have to come to the table with. 
I can give them a wonderful place to work. I can be supportive, tools, education, all of these things. But it goes beyond. It, that's part of culture, I think, in an organization that people forget about. And one of the biggest things that I know I've hit my head against, and when I talk to other owners of companies, it's the same thing. They're like, just why can't people have as much passion as I have? Why can't people have as much drive? Why can't they just want to do a good job? And that's want, innate. Do you want the short answer? Yeah, of course. Because they're not you. Of course. Okay. That. And, and that's, the, that's the answer. Yeah. So it's really interesting because this is something I deal with all the time. And there's two things in motion here. Um, and even in this case, I would argue it's on, it's on you, not on your people. Okay. Okay. Uh, within, within limits, it's on, it's still on sure. the leader. It's still on the leader. And here's why, um, you know, um, in your head relative to what you're trying to create in the world as a leader, you understand why that is. You understand why that's important to you. Okay. And it's the why of what you're doing that helps you as a leader, get out of bed every morning and go do the things that you do. Organizationally, we're not that great at spending a lot of time on why. Now, Simon Sinek wrote a whole book on this, starting, on, starting with why, um, and, or start with why, and, and he's right, okay? We spend an awful lot of time on the what and the how, and we don't spend any time on why. And as human beings, again, there's plenty of research around this, we are driven to feel like we're a part of something greater than ourselves, okay? And just having a culture full of a bunch of values and behavioral norms isn't enough. I, I got to feel like I know what I'm fighting for every day. And so as a leader, if you haven't clarified your why and then haven't communicated it over and over and over incessantly, like all the time, um, you're not getting it done. And if you're operating in that mode where you, as you, as you communicate your why, your people literally roll, your, roll their eyes and complete your sentence for you, which by the way is my tolerance for effective communication, um, you're laughing. It's true. Okay. Uh, and, uh, unless your people are doing that, it's still on you. And then if people aren't motivated or aren't getting it, mm -hmm. then I'm okay that, yeah, they're probably not the right fit. Um, yeah. and so, you know, we're, we're chronic under communicators. That's, that's a, that's another one of my bad leadership habits chronic. Mm -hmm. Okay. By like a factor of 10, by the way, even if you think you're great, you're actually really bad at it. Um, and I've seen this over and over again. And, uh, and we're also not very good at the emotional side of leadership, okay? And that's the, why, that's the territory of the why, right? It's the stuff that lights you up. It's not that, well, we're going to go win this market share or these three clients, and here's how we're going to go do it. Um, you know, that might be logically very correct and very accurate, and it could be a very compelling plan, um, but there's no feeling behind it, and the why is the feeling. What are some of the successful whys you've heard from people? Well, so, and of course, off the top of my head, I'm not going to be able to remember any, any of, of them, but things, things, things around building, building communities of people mm -hmm. who play okay. um, is a, is a, is a powerful, it's, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing the why from one of my clients, um, uh, a great, great company called Zog Sports. Um, my own why is to unlock human potential. And I talk about that all the time. Um, but it's, it's some bigger cause, you know, like what's the dragon that you're slaying or the good that you're trying to do or 
the thing that you're trying to achieve and, and the way you get there. And there's a tool in my book, Activators, um, around discovering your, your why, okay? And it's just a series of questions, very simple questions, you know, why is that important? And so it starts with, well, so what business are you in? You know, I'm, I'm in an agency, I run a marketing agency, okay, great. Why is that important? You know, and, um, and you answer that question and then I say, great, why is that important? You know, great, why does that matter? And eventually you end up digging down to something that really kind of gets you in your gut. And, and there's an emotion to it. It's like, it's be, because like, I'm, I'm trying to rid the world of shitty marketing or whatever it is that, that like is that ultimate like passion thing, yeah. right? And it's like, okay, that's it. Um, and so that's what we need to start explaining to people as like what we're actually doing here, you know, and the, and the why. Um, and, and by the way, this is not necessarily for public consumption. So this is not necessarily what you would go slap on your website. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, same is true with your core values. Um, it's, it's much more internally focused. And, and, and typically when I see core values on a, on a website for a company, it's actually a red flag for me um, that it's more sloganism than actually mm -hmm. driving culture. Um, what I look for is if I kind of walk through the office in day-to-day -day conversation, I would expect to hear core value words just being used in a very nonchalant, average, everyday way by mm -hmm. the people who work there. Um, and that's a marker of a really, really strong culture. And can a company have more than one why? Can an executive have more than one why? Or is there really a driving why to everything? So you can have a personal why, a personal one that's different than the one for your business, for sure. But the business as an entity really should only have one reason for being. Yeah. Uh, and if it ends up changing, you can chunk, typically chunk a why up, right? So it's like, okay, we started in doing this thing and here was our why to get rid of, you know, crummy marketing or whatever it was. It's, that really was emotional for us. That was great. But since then, we've diversified and we do this and this now. And, and I would say, okay, great. So then what if we come up a level and said, so then overall through this portfolio of businesses, what are we actually doing? And why does that matter? And why does that matter? And why does that matter? And, and you might come up with a new version of the why that's actually chunked at a bit of a higher level. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But this is another breadcrumb for stress because when everybody shows up to work and they actually understand why they're there, guess what starts to happen? They start wanting to be there and they start want, buying into the overall plan. And there's more engagement and engagement yes. correlates to performance and all kinds yeah. of other wonderful things as that research tells us. Right. And so these are all breadcrumbs for things that weigh in the back of the mind of a, of a CEO. You're like, why can't my people think like me? Why can't they make the same decisions as me? Yeah. How come I can't trust them to do that? Da, 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 right? Well, each of these sure. things we're talking about here, Stacy, is a breadcrumb that these are things you can implement as a leader that share your brain with those people who are working for you. And this is where we miss. And so my comment about chronic undercommunication is that's the channel that we, that we use for all of these bits of information that we're touching on here. So overly communicate, even though you think you are actually getting the message across, as you said, you are at least 10 times not doing so. Yeah, at least.
at least. Okay. Um, I just I just had this conversation this week, and again with a pretty sophisticated client. Um, how how can I get somebody to actually do the thing I'm asking for without me having to realize a week later that they like they're they're going in a different direction than what I asked them to do? And I said, great. Who's whose fault is that? And they thought like this. They said, well, it's my fault. And I said, yeah, you're right. So they're at cause. That's good, right? Right. Uh, and and uh, and I said, great. I said, so when you explained to this person what you wanted them to do, how did that go? Well, you know, I just told them what to do. I said, great. And did you confirm their understanding? I said, yeah. I, I asked them, did, did, do you understand what you need to do? And they said, yes, okay. I understand what I need to do. No. Great, right, great. <laughs> I, said, uh, I said, that's where, that's where it went off the rails, right? Okay. Because who's, who's going to say no? Okay. You know, very, some people, by the way, some people will, and it's awesome, but, but very f few people will. And so what you have to do is the business version. Do you have, do you have kids? I don't, no, okay. but it's well, so okay. For, so for listeners with kids, it's, it's, this, it's this thing where when, when you're not sure your kid is paying attention to you as a parent, mm -hmm. you say to them something like, tell me what I just said, right? That's like, well, it's a parent thing. Lovely. Right? My husband treats me then like Perfect. my parent because he does this to me because I'm the micro, I'm Perfect. multitasking all over the place. He's like, tell me what I just said. I'm like, ah, I got gotcha. you. That's right. See that? so, the, so the problem is we can do that with our kids, maybe with our spouse, yeah. but we can't do it professionally because it's just yeah. not professional. You're not going to say, hey, tell me what I said. But there is a professional version of that that I'll share that is the way to get around this and absolutely confirm understanding. And this is another breadcrumb because it's going to reduce stress when we delegate things. Yeah. And here it is. Okay, Stacy. so I just explained to you what I need you to do um, by next Tuesday just to make sure we're on the same page, I'd like you to give me the read back of the first few steps you're gonna to take to get this done. Yeah. That's the business version of tell me what I just said because what's that gonna now have you do for me? You're gonna repeat back your understanding of what I said, which is gonna let me know, ah, she got it or, well, she got most of it, but you know what, Stacy? this one little thing, I would just change it like this and if you do that, we're totally in sync and you're good to go and we'll talk about it next Wednesday. And it's that little step that actually doesn't take that much time that preempts a deviation from the course. Yeah. No, and we have done that internally at our company and it has changed things so much for the better. Um, because you know, you say something, you're living it, you're in, it's in your head as that executive. You're like, oh, I got this, I'm just gonna tell you what to do. You look at them and they're nodding their head and you're like, hmm, they're nodding, but there's like this kind of scared look. If you look really deep in their eyes, hmm, do they really have it? Let's see if they really have it. And yep. you make it where it's not that you're going to be like, bad, you're wrong. How dare you not listen? And you actually have a communication conversation with them. It does turn out rather pleasantly. It could also be you did a crummy job explaining it because yeah. that's a reality too. You know, I mean, it's like, it's both, it's both ways. Yeah. yeah. It's both ways. Okay. Are we having fun? There's We're so, having fun. There's so much meat here just around day-to-day -day thinking and behavior mm -hmm. and where there's opportunities to pick up yeah. these little hacks and things that, that mm -hmm. really do tie into the stress equation like you, like you talked about before.
Well, I'm ready to bolt from my chair thinking about all the things that I'm doing wrong. So I'm hoping our listeners aren't too, but I am hoping that they're leaning on and they're seeing that there's actually really easy, actionable things that can be incorporated on a day-to-day basis that will change and alleviate stress and change their lives at the office. Yeah, and help them grow their businesses faster and more profitably and expending less energy and less time uh, as well. It's all packed in there for sure. What other valuable nuggets do you have for us as you share this breadcrumb strewn path that we are going to be walking along? So the next one, we're going to move into the strategy decision um, and talk about business strategy, which is essentially uh, the how it is that you want to execute your business. Okay, and great strategy is very narrow. Okay, so in other words, I'm trying to be something very valuable to a very well-defined group of, of potential customers, right? That's great strategy in, in, in a nutshell. And um, what that necessitates, though, is my having to say no to things. And th- this is where we run into a problem, okay? So I've got this great strategy. We've even hired a consultant. They're brilliant. We figured out the strategy. Here's the strategy. We're going to go do this thing, and we're going to be this to this, this group of customers, and it's all great. And, and then what happens is um, the phone rings and it's one of your top salespeople and they say, um, hey, so I just got this phone call from this potential customer and what they really want us to do is this thing over here. Um, it kind of looks like this, whatever, but like they're ready to go, right? And, and now as a leader, I'm thinking, okay, so I got my strategy over here in theory, but I actually have a customer on the phone over here, right? Mm-hmm. And we get into FOMO, fear of missing out. We all know that, right? And we start to say yes to things that we should say no to. And so the thing that I want your listeners to start tracking is their yes to no ratio, okay? How many times in a given day or a given week are you saying yes to things? And how many times in a given day or a given week are you saying no to things? And what's the ratio? Because your yes to no ratio should be something like two to 10, okay? You should be saying no an awful lot more than you say yes to things. And and I don't mean no like, no, you can't go on vacation next week, right? But no pertaining to your strategy, things, decisions you're making in the business about who to do business with, whether to make an exception to our our plan, those kinds of things. And they happen quite frequently. And what will happen is when you start saying no more often and you start really focusing your resources on where you want to go, not about what's happening right next to you that you're reacting to, but where you want to go, it's going to accelerate your path to get there. And of course, it's also going to lower your level of stress because you're going to to move away from where you currently are, which usually feels like a bit of a juggler, okay? into a place where, wow, I I actually feel like I have my hands on the controls now. And I have this feeling that if I do this, it's going to go the direction I want it to go. That's very empowering. That makes 100% so much sense that I can't even say how many yeses I should not be saying. So I, again, feel like there's a lot of listeners who probably relate to my positioning of going, oh, geez, I say yes a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, a, that's, that's, an, that's really another key one under, um, under strategy. 
Yeah, um, and I think you also have to get comfortable saying no because it's uncomfortable. It doesn't make you feel necessarily good at the moment, but it's kind of like firing people. You feel really good after. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And listen, if you don't have clarity on your why, this is, by the way, all these things interrelate. I just want to make it clear to the listeners. This is not like some random string of things. These actually all interrelate. If you're really clear on your why and your employees are really clear on your why, it becomes easier to say no to things because you're saying no in service of the pursuit of the why, which should also be related to, I hope, that strategy that you set out there, right? Because we should be able to look at the strategy and say, well, the strategy is consistent with our why. Therefore, we're really bought into that. And that's why we have to say no to this thing, even if it causes us a little bit of short-term pain. Right. And that's how it should work. Yeah, because I'm sure all of us have gotten to the point where we say yes to something and then we're not staffed right for it and we're trying to move people around or we're not going to be able to actually serve the client to the level that they need to be served and they're not going to be happy and you're not going to be happy and no one's happy. So why are you doing it in the first place? And all of those resources are taken away from the pursuit of what it is you're saying you want most. Sure. And again, that's the part we don't always think about. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You want one more? One more. Let's do one, one more. more. We got time for one more? We have one um, more. One more. You've got to raise the bar of your expectations of your team. Okay. You've got to raise the bar. There's some really chilling research that was done in uh, an elementary school where teachers were, were, kids were selected at random, okay, random, that's a key word in this, and the teachers at the beginning of the school year were told, this group of kids, randomly selected, are absolutely gifted and talented children, and we expect that they're going to perform very highly in your class this year. Another group of teachers were told, this other group of kids, okay, um, they're going to cause you some problems this year, okay, so watch out for them in your class. Kids were all selected at random. The poor children. Guess what happened? This By the cannot end of the be good. Year, no, this it's cannot not. be good. By the end of the year, sure enough, the high performers were all performing at top levels in their classes. Right. And the trouble kids were all performing at the level expected of, of them. And so it's, it's, this, it's incredible that people will behave up to or down to the level of your expectation. And um, for example, I'll even hear executives articulate, well, I've got this person, um, boy, they're, they're really, really great in my organization. Um, and I'll say, great. So how are, you, how are you challenging her? What do you mean by that? Well, like, do you have a... Can we talk about a project that's aligned with your strategy that's a key yeah. thing and tap her on the shoulder and have her step up and lead? Uh, well, I'm not sure she could do that because, you know, she does. The, well, how is she ever going to learn if you don't put her in the position? Right. And it's always a big moment for me when key initiatives in a business start to be led by people who are not on the senior team um, because that's a marker of a leadership team that's getting it. They start getting that and they realized, wow, it's not just us. We don't have to be the ones leading everything. Um, and things start to be distributed, and that's when growth accelerates because they're actually causing their people to rise up by changing the level of their expectation. Um, and again, this ties back to the stress, the breadcrumb trail, is that, you know, boy, how come we have to do everything ourselves around here? And, and how come we just can't count on anybody else to get things over the finish line, right? Sound familiar? Sure. 
that's where this comes from. The reason they can't get anything over the finish line is because you expect that they won't, and then you never challenge them to. Now that makes incredible sense on all points of what you've said. And again, things for us to take back into my own agency and for our listeners, I have no doubt they are getting some value from this. It's incredible too. Great. Thank you. So I know you've mentioned a couple of times on our podcast that you have a book and I had introed it as well. Can you tell everyone a little bit more about your book, where they can get it and some more insights of what they can expect? Absolutely. So the book is called Activators, a CEO's guide to clearer thinking and getting things done. Uh, it was published in October of 2018, just last year, and it's on Amazon for sure, uh, Kindle as well, and Audible for those of you who like Audible, like me. Uh, and I wrote the book because what I had discovered is that the, the teams that I was coaching were spending far too much time in the zone of what should we be doing and how should we do it, mm-hmm. and not enough time in the zone of even though we know what to do and how to do it, how come it's still not getting done? Right. <laughs> Right. And, and yeah. that get it, get that. And, and I think everybody can relate to that. Right. Like, yeah. I, I know I shouldn't have the piece of chocolate cake, but I just had the piece of chocolate cake. Right. Yeah. And, and so, and you extrapolate that into business and it happens all the time. Uh, and so it, it gets into this realm of where do we get in our own way? And so I, I did a bunch of research and I wrote the book and I came up with eight activators uh, and a bunch of tools and a couple of assessments around this that is essentially helping to understand the hidden growth killers, our motivators, our habits, and our beliefs that are these things that cause us to not act on our intentions. Mm-hmm. And the goal of the book was to create a handbook for your business mind, along with some tools to be able to use to overcome this, to be able to act more often and make better mm-hmm. choices relative to what it is that you intend to do, that you, kn- you know what to do and you know how to do it. So that's the story behind the book. Perfect. And you can get this again, as you said, on Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. then you, you have also created for our listeners today um, something from your website too, some free tools that they can get. Yes, absolutely. So the book website is activators.biz and um, the assessments and tools are available via link there, uh, all for free. They're downloadable. So um, it's a great place to start the hidden growth killer assessment to find out what's really going on in your head and uh, and how that might be impacting you. Uh, And then some of the tools from the book. And of course, there's a link through to Amazon to buy the book from there um, as well. And then finally, listeners can connect with me if they wish on LinkedIn at Coach Mark Green. M-A-R-K-G-R-E-E-N, Coach Mark Green on LinkedIn. And all of this will also be in the show notes on our podcast webpage so that everyone can tune in there if they are reading or walking or driving or doing all sorts of different things versus writing. There you have it. Perfect. Well, Mark, I am so happy you were on today. It really was a delightful conversation. Enjoyed our time. Gave me a lot to think about as a business owner and executive and things that I need to maybe re-examine and things that we are doing that could potentially be done a lot better. So thank you again for sharing that with us. My pleasure, Stacy. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Look forward to speaking with you on our next podcast.